1: Welcome back to A Celtic State of Mind. It's Friday afternoon. I'm Paul John Dykes. And this afternoon, I am delighted to be joined by Brian Degnan and Jim Orr for an hour talking about Celtic. Plenty to discuss. How are you, gentlemen? You were at a wee meeting last night in Glasgow, Brian. Could you fill us in on what that meeting was?
0: Um, Yes, I'll give a sort of a very brief overview. Essentially, we had a meeting with uh, the Celtic Trust. Uh, The Celtic Trust arranged for several um, fan media outlets, bloggers, writers, uh, and then just Celtic fans in general to attend, and essentially they laid out what they believe is their best strategy for trying to hold the board to account and trying to get a voice, our voices as fans to be heard. Um, so there's a lot of discussions back and forth around you know what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it, and, and what the, the outcomes are going to be. Um, I think. It's fair to say that it was a really good discussion, but we are sort of really just at step one. I think broadly speaking, everyone agreed with the cause, and everyone agreed that we need to do something. Hmm. I think there's just some miscommunication and things we need to sort of clear up. Which hopefully, I think we're going to reach out with and, and try and work with some of the people for the trust to to get to clear up some misconceptions um, and then see how we feel. But it's all like, it's. It's always good to engage with, with people who are trying to be actively promoting Celtic and holding the board to account. Um, so, as, and as I say, the, the meeting was positive. I think everyone's on the same page in terms of where we want to get to. Um, but I think there's various views on how we get there and, and how that's going to look. Um, but broadly speaking, it was a good time. It was nice to meet everybody. I had the pleasure of Jim's company in person alongside uh, Patrick, Chris and, and Lawrence. Um, so, I'd, uh, personally speaking, had a really good night.
1: Well, it's always a pleasure to be in the presence of Jim Moore. Jim Moore, you're one of the original activists in amongst the Celtic <sighs> fan base back in the day. Back, back in, the, in day. the day. Over 30 years ago, you were there on the telly, Mr. handing out flyers, all that stuff.
2: Uh, well, it's actually Mr. Degran last night. Oof, every two minutes, he's asking questions. And then he stormed the stage. He's dead impressive, that man. Very impressive. Uh, Did you stage yeah, that, I Brian? think? I was to be part of it. Pastor and <laughs> I, think,
0: right. uh, I, I tried to say, need to catch me, so I just fell straight in my face. But <laughs> we'll have and learn.
2: Absolutely. My name's Brian. I want to join. Yeah, it was something. It was, uh, there was a statement made last night about a united Celtic support is very powerful, uh, and you can't even deny that. And I think the aims of the trust are laudable. And I think if you want some sort of change, I think the Celtic Trust is like your best bet as a catalyst for that. You alluded to what happened thirty years ago. Social media has like changed the landscape completely. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, who do you support uh, to try and take the club forward? Uh, what was notable about uh, the guys on the panel last night? They're all of my kind of vintage. Uh, let's call it experience. wasn't much young blood kicking about. You know, maybe they need a wee bit of young blood on the trust. Uh, support they're trying to do. They're trying to get five percent of the shareholding. That's the kind of aim behind it and once you get 5% you can do some things kind of to annoy the board. you know, unless you've got substantial share homes, there's nothing really you can do and at the end of the day, in my opinion, uh, unless um, Desmond changes his mind about anything, there's not a lot you can do as fans as where it is at this point in time Uh point I made, I thought the main uh, power lies with season ticket owners because uh, we're the guys who we give them a sizeable chunk of their income every the year, and if they could be mobilised in some way, then that'd be a good thing to do. And then they started to talk about uh, the fans' advisory board, which is the first time I'd heard that term. Mm. Which well, seems to have something a wee bit of a bite, didn't it, Brian? As opposed to there's something called a <laughs> something called a fans' forum, which I'd never heard of before. Someone has axed thing every couple of weeks for the last three and a half years, and I've never heard of a fans' forum. So news to me don't know what they do, don't know how often they meet, don't know who goes to them, don't know what the outcomes are, don't know anything. So as people will tend to tell you in any big organisation, communication is a big thing. So yeah. I can't be the only Celtic fan that doesn't know there's a fans forum kicking about. But this fans advisory board seems to be more of a statutory thing that if the club don't do what this advisory board to do, then you can you can then take it further. So... Mm. That sounded quite interesting, and the guy I talked to that was, was, was very impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. He spoke to that at the end. So that's another avenue. Uh, and as Jeanette firmly said, the chair, and, and you know yourself, Paul, that, that basically when Celtic are doing well, no one's interested in, in anything else. But if they're not doing so well, everyone's interested in why aren't we doing so well. And, and that's reflected in the podcast that if we do badly, you'll get tons of views because people are, are angry, at people want to vent. So... So I think over the last number of years, and there's been a few guys on on who have said this over the years, particularly Ken Graham, that you know we're not particularly well run as a club. Uh, but if you win nine in a row and you win quadruple trebles, talk to the hand, you know. And, mm. and you you said that Paul, as well, talking to them at, uh, when people try to talk to them at days when about you know, failures, what failures? You know, you would nine in a row, but we won nine in a row because we're the richest club in the land, in the same way that. Rangers won in the 90s because they were the richest club in the land, you know. So if you want the most money, then you should win things. So yes, it's an achievement, but you look at a European record and it's embarrassing. And that's down to the people who run the club, you know. So and I think because things have been went a bit pear-shaped over the past, you know, you know maybe what, a couple of months or so, mm. people are not, now starting to look a bit behind the scenes to say, well, oh, what does he do and what does she do? <clears throat> and talking about non-executive board members and you know, they're kind of naming names. It's just, well, what does that person do and how long have they been there for? And, all that. and that stuff I think fans should be talking about all the time. And uh, I'm not seeing the comments coming in, but I'm sure a lot of people are saying, go, to talk about the football rather than talk about this stuff. But, but but this is the stuff that's important. And I think if you want to have change at Celtic part, I'd imagine the Celtic Trust, as I said, is maybe your best catalyst for that. I think the people on that, on that panel, i have been supporting Celtic for a long, long time. They give up their time. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. I'm sure they take a lot of flack from time to time. Everyone takes flak; We all take flack. I Maybe mean, be on a podcast, you get flack. Mm. That's kind of how it works. But uh, I just think that uh, we've not been a particularly well-run club, even if you point to 9 in a row and quadruple travels. trebles. The main rivals across the city got to a European final a couple of years ago. They were one kick away from winning it. And we've been just rubbish. You know, so we've changed managers, we've changed players, we've done that kind of stuff. You know, we're a very risk-averse, not very ambitious club at all. And I think that comes from the top. And I think that was the general frustration that was here last night, that, well, how do you actually change that? Well, you can't really change it unless the guy at the top wants to change things. And going back, you know, 30-odd years, that, that the board were gettable at that point in time, you know, your David Losey, this world, your Brian Dempsey's, had a chance of getting maybe over 50% and taking control. Those days are long gone. The financial landscape has changed completely. That's never going to happen. And the 5%, yeah, you can be a bit of a pain in the backside. You can call for an EGM. You can can make it difficult. But they've got the voting power. So they're always going to win, no matter what. And that's why I think season ticket holders, that's where it's at. But how do you... How do you how do you harness that power? Yeah. How do you mobilise that power? And the question I posed last night was basically that you know would would the club be amenable to putting a kind of levy on the season, ticket, a tenner on the season ticket, and that goes to form some sort of season ticket, you not know, a supporters club, but, but but something you know. And even if you get twenty thousand fans, yeah, network. Even twenty thousand fans agree to that tenor, That's two hundred grand. For, for two hundred grand, you could employ some people, you could take some action, you could actually do something. Whereas you know the Celtic Trust, they're all, they're all volunteers, giving up a ridiculous amount of their time trying to try and do something. So unless you get people on the ground, I mean, Celtic, I believe pay for a supporters liaison officer, you know, who works for the club. Would you not want your own supporters liaison officer? You need more than one, I think. I Man, I don't go to away games, but hear stories of outside time Castle and outside. We should have three or four, Absolutely. supporters' liaison officers sorting things out, you know. But mm-hmm. if the club aren't going to pay that, we will stick a tender on the season ticket. Let's get fun together. Let's do something like that. Maybe that's completely, you know, a known startup. I do not know. But I think, as was said by Brian there, there was a few things getting mentioned last night. What about this and what about that? And as I said at the start, the Celtic support United are very powerful, but we have lots of fragmentation. You have the association and you have the affiliation. And you have the Green Brigade and you have the boys and you have the Celtic Trust and you've seen like those. But this <laughs> Fans Advisory Board, that was my big takeaway from last night, I thought that sounded like an interesting thing. That sounded like something with a wee bit of teeth that you may be able to hold people to account. Another point I made last night is I tend to judge people on how they do the small things. If you can do the small things well, you've got a chance of the big things. I can't see the big screen. And I've said that for the past two seasons. And no one's doing it. And of the committee knows he said, so can't I can't see it either. Mm. So so there's a dead simple thing. Like yeah. that. You can't see the big screen. Where's your customer service? Do you really care? I don't think you do. At the end of the day, it sounds like a rant. Mean by rant, at the end of the day, they're a, they're a public limited company. What's their objective? Make money. And they're really good at making money. And you can't argue with them making money. Does that translate onto the park? No, really. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit more depth today. They will argue, as you said, Jim, that it does.
1: Uh, the Dermot Desmond one, get your medals on the table, that kind of thing. Recruitment, Paul, what do you know about recruitment? That's the attitude. And Jim, you're not talking yeah. about the big screen so that you can see a birthday message for uh, a second cousin. It's for the VAR, it's for the VAR decisions. It's to keep you as a punter in the ground informed rather than everybody at home streaming the games, watching the games on Celtic TV worldwide. So, absolutely, uh, open meeting with the Celtic Trust is on the 29th of February 2024 at Gracie's Irish Bar at 7pm, all are welcome to the open meeting. So, check them out on the socials if uh, you want to hear what they've got to say. Um, and I've got to say, thank you, every single one of you, it's almost 800 strong. After the bulletin, I'm jumping in my motor, I'm driving to Sunderland. I'm going down to Sunderland um, on Axon Business. So all I'm saying. Uh, Brian, did you watch the Scott Brown interview the other day with Jerry?
0: I did. I thought it was absolutely sensational. I think, um, I think, it's, so twofold, first of all, massive credit to, to Jerry. I think people, although Jerry's an actor and a performer, it's it's very difficult to. It, sometimes when you're an actor, people assume interviews, being on camera, being yourself is is easy, and it's actually it's probably not. I think Jerry transitions and has transitioned really well, and it being what I think is an excellent, excellent interviewer. I think that he put scott at ease he made him feel really welcome and bubbly the personality came across it was great chemistry so 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 massive kudos to, to jerry um and of course scott brown i think i think everyone that's met him says he's a is a really nice guy and i think that came across as well it's quite hard to fake sort of genuine sort of camaraderie and repartee and i think i think they had it off well so we yeah, have absolutely brilliant interview um Really good to act on, we're doing that sort of stuff, and they covered the united as well. It wasn't just all Celtic centric so I think really accessible interview for everyone as well. So, brilliant job all in,
1: yeah. I, I agree with that. I thought Jerry, a uh, big loving by the way, if you're tuning in, Jerry thought it was brilliant. You've really put Scott Brown at ease. Scott uh, opened up, you could see it as the conversation went on, and uh, we are going to have more content. He like also knew his stuff, panel.
2: Jerry. He also yeah. He does, yeah. Definitely, definitely. He also knew his stuff, which is the most important thing. You can't sit there and hum and hone. A lot of it was unscripted. I think he had a plan at the start and then just let that be and just his own personality come out. Yeah, so a bit of a loving. Well done, Jerry Taylor, top man. Absolutely. And we
1: know that uh, when you get a, a coup like that, um that other Platforms will pick up on it. Mainstream platforms will pick up on it. They're looking for a narrative. They go for the Celtic Rangers narrative, of course. Uh, Quite frankly, I would have ran with the kangaroo story. That's another thing. If you've (laughs) not listened to it, get on the channel. 10,000 do you have. So well done, Jerry. And here we go. Jungle Lion. Very often the first out the traps. Um, I set this up at half past 11 today. and Jungle Lion was the first out the traps. um, Responding to that notification bell. Let's hope the Lobos and the Strackens don't have an FU playing goal somewhere. This will lead us on nicely to uh, the main tagline. I think when someone comes to the club, they make a positive contribution. Even if it is for two or three seasons, Brian, they are definitely worthy of discussion in any case. Under these circumstances where we are just now, the fact that there doesn't seem to be a succession plan in place, there is no goalkeeper in the building. You and I have spoken about it a hell of a lot over the last couple of years that Joe Hart has been at Celtic. Um, I remember the initial um, presser that uh, Axel Morat, and he was talking about the next couple of years. He said that a few times. It was like in his head, next couple of years. It was almost as if he had two years at Celtic. And I I felt at that point, Brian, that um, give him another year, give him a, a third year, but have that succession plan and have somebody coming in who is your first choice, but Joe Hart is going to play some games. And as a, as a couplet, if you like, in the, the the practice games and in the training, Joe Hart's influence and experience would be vital to the new, new man coming in. We've not, we've not done that. We, you know, we're left with Segrist and we're left with Bain. And Ober is, is out on loan, not playing. Um, I don't think we've handled it that well is where I'm going with this. Before we get into the positivity of Joe Hart and what he's contributed, I don't think as a club we've managed this that well.
0: No and, and, and sadly that's that's nothing new. Um, I'm forever harping on about succession planning structures and it seems bizarre to me that we, I mean, we'll talk about how we feel about Joe Hartley's performances and his place and sort of Celtic folklore, but irrespective of how you feel about him, it was always the case we had to replace him because of his age or at least get another keeper in to provide competition. Sort of worst case. And we knew that in the summer. We kind of knew it last summer and nothing happened. And we thought, All right, okay, well, maybe definitely this summer though. That came and went right January, get something done. That came and went. And then obviously Joe's been thinking about retirement and fair play to him. I think he's done it the right way actually. I think he spoke really well about his decision in, in doing it. And I think he done it in the best interest. uh taking a bit of pressure off the rumourville and, and, and things like that. So I thought that was good. But yeah, very strange decision by Celtic not to get a replacement tied up anyway. Now, apart from the fact Scott Bain and secret aren't good enough, they're both know that young either. So, even just in the interest against somebody that was younger for a long-term strategy, they've never done that either. It was a very, very strange decision. So, mm. And I think you can apply that logic to, to pretty much Celtic overall. It's just that I think Joe Hart's at the moment a very other goalkeeping position rather is a sort of of personification of a lot of the problems at Celtic because no succession planning, no long-term thinking. And, you know, we'll talk about Joe Hart separately, but it's just a strange situation to be in.
1: It is a strange situation. And as you say, when you're bringing in a goalkeeper who's already kind of on the wrong side of 30, I mean, how good would it be just to be on the wrong side of 30, Jim? on the wrong side of 30. <laughs> um then the the plan should start right there. A Long time ago. Not that, <laughs> that
2: means. Uh...
1: I don't know how long ago Jim. But you know the thing the thing is
2: Yeah I, we... I just uh, I think the last two seasons Joe Hart's been part of a part of a team that we like all the players. We love mm-hmm. all the players. I think this season he's came to the fore because those players that we love have kind of gone down and down and down and if I had to say who are the players who are worthy of a start this year then Joe Hart's one of them Carter Vickers is one of them Callum Matt O'Reilly that's it so he's he's part of that cohort I think whereas last season we didn't, and the season before we didn't talk too much about Joe Hart because he was part of a lot of guys who were really good but he's been pretty important this season he's made a lot of really good saves in the last few games that if he hadn't made, the league's finished. Uh, so he came to the four. He's a big personality. He's a leader. And apart from Callum McGregor, we don't have any other leaders in the team. And that's go back to the kind of short-sightedness of the recruitment and succession planning and, and all that kind of stuff that we've talked about ad nauseum for quite a while now. Uh, when he first came, I didn't know what to expect. You can hear the stories of a big head and what have you, but he's been unbelievably good Um uh, he is somebody you would maybe like to keep in some sort of coaching capacity, but I know that Stevie Woods has that kind of that kind of sewn up, that job, so I'm not sure where he would go if he stayed. Uh, he's made a huge impact, uh, mm-hmm. very popular figure, and hopefully he does go in that third league title. It'd be good if he did. But yeah, the lack of succession planning, the secret things, bizarre, I think, because he looked really good with Dundee United, and a lot of Celtic fans myself included thought People not a bad guy to get. Scott Bain's still kicking about there, earning a wage as well. So uh, you've got no confidence, as you said, on the other two. And, and there's bits, maybe in the past couple of seasons, people were a bit unsure about Joe Hart. Not so much but he's shot saving, more about going to wander and nobody will play orange ball and stuff like that. But he's no point in the head and shoulders above the other two. Uh, and it's just a shame we haven't got a was that the one type Jim? of keeper? Was that the one? No, I just saw it there. Yeah. Just when yeah. I was talking about it. Just, just thought you thought just, in. Just, nah. it. It's a nice one. As you do. As you do. <laughs> uh, as you do. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's a concern because we need two good goalkeepers, I think, and we don't have. We've only won just now So uh, I mean here's Scott Bain and What kind of contract did he get? Was it a theatre contract? Or well that went under the radar Because Celtic
1: didn't actually Officially announce it Did they? Uh, it must have been one of the weeks Where things weren't going well And they thought Right we're not going to announce Bain's contract And we're not going to announce That it's uh, Mohamed Bangura's birthday Because we never ever got it but it's, but-
2: Yeah it's just, it's just the logic behind What we're doing at times Is a bit Baffling You know the, the Nicholas Kuhn you know Who I met mean. mm. <laughs> Uh Five Nick. and a half year contract. Nick, my mate, Nick. Aye, good luck, mate. Thanks. Uh, how do you get somebody a five and a half year contract? I, Where's I just it,
1: think that number it, come from? It, they've got to this point now, Jim, and we'll get on to the, the transfers because I've got a wee thing I want to speak about with regards to Mo, El Copenhagen, etc. But we've got to a point now where we've painted ourselves into a corner. you know. And I think Mo, Mo El I'm going to use him as an example. I don't know if we were interested or not, but he would not fit the criteria State or the remit set by whoever's setting it, by the way, for the the, uh, recruitment team. Moel you know, he wouldn't end up on a a shortlist of players if we are looking for a winger because of his age profile, Brian. So, yeah, free transfer. Brilliant, Okay, So no transfer fee, so you can afford to pay him a wee bit more in wages. But what we've done in terms of a winger when Jota left, and I'm not saying he was as good as Jota, I'm not saying that at all, and I know that he divides opinion a bit, is we've gone out and bought four wingers. Four wingers? Right, all of whom have come with a transfer fee and obviously kind of smaller wages, but combined equals probably the wages of El Yunus. He's going to Copenhagen. He's playing with a Champions League team in the last 16, albeit they're going to get probably papped out by Man City, but they've done really, really well, Brian. I think that you can have a formula, you can have something that, that, that works, but you need to be able to be prepared when the right body comes along, like Aaron Moy, to say, OK, we're not going to make any money off this player, but will he improve the team? And if he improves the team, then we've got a better chance of winning the league. I just think that we've got this plan, this formula, and we're too stringent. We stick to it too rigidly. So, listen, there's going to be others. I'm using Yunusi as an example, Brian, but we wouldn't sign him because we're too rigid with our transfer strategy and uh, we wouldn't look upon him as being an asset well, he is an asset, we just won't make money off him but he still is an asset, isn't he? A guy like that.
0: Yeah, Well, what's really interesting about that and I think any successful team and any successful business has to be about balance. So actually Lawrence made a brilliant point last night actually, and we were having a chat in his car and he says, you know, why don't we have a quota where you're getting, say, four really experienced players in or say you're four players of high value four players from Scotland or lower leagues and then four academy players promoted. And then between that, you've got some sort of balance. So you've got that experience, project players, and your own players. Now, obviously, it's not going to work quite as neatly as that season on season, but this this idea of always just sending projects because it's worked in the past, when you've got to have an Moy an El Unice out there, I think it's very strange. And it just comes back to that sort of, does it, I can't see the logic in some of the decisions, and that's what I find really strange about things. So, the Winers for me is is baffling situation. So, I posed a question I think last time I was on, and we'll talk about Rocco Vata again. and He's become this sort of thing that we seem to bring out, but he's just an example of an academy player who's on the fringes who so could probably get a chance, right? It's not that we think he's, he's, he's messy. However, the point I made was how much better than Vata is Zhang? Coon, eh, uh, for example, like how, like, metrically how much better, and I think somebody in the comments said, oh, their miles better, it says, in what areas, in what way are the miles better, are they faster, are they stronger, are they better crossing, better passing, better dribbling, what, what is the metrics for that, because for me, you can maybe sing one player, you're taking a bit of a gamble on, but you can't sing four, it's just madness to me, and, Picking up something else in the comments actually, they said that I was really positive about Brendan Rodgers last week. I'm not sure I've been positive about Brendan Rodgers all season. Uh, but I think what I said was I, I I would back him to, when he's back against the wall deliver. But it does come down to his decisions to, you know, he's playing Burnaby when either he could just switch position and, and maybe play frame. I mentioned a few times he gave him his debut, never played him, played Burnaby, who clearly isn't up to the task. These are decisions the managers are making in game and in selection. Because all he can affect, right, he can affect the treatment now because it's done, right? Nothing we can do about that in this instant. But what he can do is affect who's packing picking and the way he's picking it and the system he's setting up. We spoke for ages complaining about the wingers. We'll play a system where, play a three-five-two and have your full backs as wing backs. and Don't worry about the wingers. Like do. There's so many things that I think you could try differently. They just aren't. And that's just as much Brendan as it is anyone else. And again, you guys like Elinousi, to go back to your point, surely a manager like Rogers could see the value in that because it's what I would describe as a no risk proposition. Because he knows the club, Mm -hmm. we know him, we're not paying any money for him. He's experienced, in absolute worst case, he can do a turn if we're struggling and he's better than what's there. So (laughs) it's like an absolute no brainer. It might say people might criticise as they want to do, it's a lack of ambition, signing a four player for free. I, I can see the argument there, but it also does the, the it's risk-free. It's like when we were saying why people were going nuts. It's just risk-free. Why not do it? And, it? and it's that weird. Is that the recruitment team? Is that the manager? Is that the overall strategy or like lack thereof? Um, and again, I just to, to sum up my points, I think it's just the lack of logic around things is what I can't quite piece together. I can't, When they make decisions, even if they're wrong, I can go, right, well, i see what they were thinking. But some of these decisions, I, I can't see where they're coming from.
1: No, and by the way, I'm, I'm using Moel el as an example. Copenhagen have been the subject of much discussion in the European football circles this season. And you look at the team, they've got Mo el who's a, a guy who can play on both wings. As you say, Brian, he knows the club. Now, that's important. It's not the old throwaway, knows the city. He knows the club and the standards of the club. We've been complaining all season about you know players coming in and who don't necessarily know the importance of winning every game at Celtic. And yes, even when you don't win well, you might get booed and all these kind of standards. And, and they're maybe not used to it elsewhere. So El knows what is expected. Um, we, we know what he can do. And obviously we've got our own internal stats, I would hope, on the player for the two seasons that he actually played with us. He's doing really well. Copenhagen are doing really well. And they've got another couple of guys that we would have known a thing or two about. And by the way... Tin hat time on, Scott McKenna and Jordan Larson. Now, McKenna obviously played for a number of years at Aberdeen. He's a player that Brendan Rodgers admired previously, potentially even scouted. Could have had him on on loan. Would he do a better job than, for example, Stephen Welsh? Let me know in the comments. Would Moel Elianoussi do a better job than Kuhn? Let me know in the comments. Would Jordan Larson be a better proposition than... Uh, Adam Eder, let me know your thoughts in the comments. I know it all comes down to opinion, Jim, but I think we really are painting ourselves into a corner. Listen, it's old school. Remember Billy Stark came in? Billy Stark's in of year, Jim. Bit of experience, that's what we needed. There's nothing wrong with that. Neither to the modern day, Aaron Moy. Great example. He comes in, he gives you that experience. He does a job. Uh, Gordon Strachan's last season, Hartley and Robson. Right? Two guys from the Scottish game, came in, made a big difference. Uh, Jim, are are we, as I say, painting ourselves into a corner and we need to change the strategy? Uh,
2: Brian said the phrase, lack of logic. And before I leave my my best pal, Nick, uh, the point I was making there was five and a half year contract. Where's your logic behind that? Uh, A strategy is good and you can stick to the strategy. And I don't have an issue with that. I mean, if it was me, I'd be saying you get a four-year contract. And what tends to happen, uh, out with football as well, if you, if you get a new job, it usually takes the first year to kind of get to grips with a new job and the new systems and the people you're dealing with and all the stuff that goes with it. And it's that second year you really kind of make your mark, I think. Yeah, And I think football kind of works the same way. So mm-hmm. if you give somebody a four-year contract, I think at the end of season number two, it's sticker twist time. They either sell them, hopefully for a lot of money, or they sign a new contract. Another phone you, rinse and repeat. But five and a half years. Where's the logic in that? I don't understand that at all. Be good if somebody explained that to me. You know, because I'm not interested in talking about individual people. But we sign somebody like my pal Nick, and he's on maybe I don't know what 15 grand a week or something like that. I don't know which is with bonuses and maybe national insurance. is the guts of a million pound a year, say, for five and a half years. There's five and a half million. And he cost, was it three and a half? Was mm-hmm. it? There's nine. <laughs> nine million quid like that. On a player who is early days, some people are not convinced, but it's too early to judge in. But there's nine million pound invested in that one young guy because you're on a five and a half year contract. Personally, I find that totally, utterly bonkers. Don't understand it at all. Don't understand the logic at all. The question you posed there was about experience. Absolutely experience. We don't have experience in the team, and that's why we find it difficult to get over, to, get, to, to, to maybe see out some of these games. An experience head in the game last week against Cole Marlach, but the lot got us through the game, but bring on the young guys. And the manager's making mistake after mistake after mistake. And I don't know if... I mean, I haven't been on social media much this week. But when the Kilmarnock play, I think it was a big set that happened We doing injured, Callum McGregor called everyone together with about 10 minutes to go and had them in a huddle. And he was given the kind of this. Because he's the only leader we've got. Mm-hmm. And that was good that he was doing that. But you're wondering, you know, what kind of effect that would have, if any young German guy, young Korean guy, young 60,000 people going bonkers. You know, you need that experience. You need your Aaron. It was Robson and Hartley that won the league in 2008 because with not many games to go, we we're, were quite a bit behind and we were getting booed off the park and, and again, a very ordinary team. You know, I mean, we'd great players like Boric and and Naka say, but you know, it was, McManus was in that team and, and, and from memory, Naylor was in that team and Gary Caldwell, Hartley Robson, Scott Venegar, you know, they weren't any big stars, but experienced guys will get you through. I said last time I was on, the strategy's wrong. For every young project, we you buy, buy an experienced player. So you've yeah. got that kind of balance then. And if you want to sell the young superstars in a few years' time, fine. But, you know, and if, if people have had a wee dig on the on the comments. And, but I'll say it again that there has to be players out there, 28, 29 years old ex-international players, maybe played for Sweden a couple of years ago, no longer play for Sweden, have played lots of games in Europe, whether it's the Champions League or the Europa League or the Champions it doesn't matter. They've maybe played 300, 350 games for, for a team. Established guys know how to get you through a football match. That's what Callum McGregor needs. He doesn't have that. And that's why we are where we are just now. Because we don't have that experience. And as you just said, Brian, you can't assign all these young guys and hopefully it's going to work. Because these young guys. And they've totally been mused. You win a game 1-0 and the fans are booing you. If I'm them, I like, think... Just,
0: just like, on the, on the back of that, when you talk about experience in, in and you reference Hartley and Robson and stuff, and I'm percent with you, I, I've said often that was one of my favourite Celtic teams because they overachieved and it's been a good management. You mentioned in the comments somebody saying we're defending Rogers profusely I've no idea where that's came from because we've not... <laughs> that, I, that's madness to me, but on their point, we... This striking signing policy. He go guys like see back in the, he'd have went and got a Mayovsky, which week ago. Yeah. Guy for Aberdeen, scoring goals for fun. Actually fits the age profile. Actually twenty four years old, but played a lot of games. Um, and you think wh- why no go for that? And it goes back to that logic thing. Like there's, there's players in a we we're just ignoring. Yep. And that that that, that can just be down to. Like, I know we've got a recruitment team, but Shirley Rogers, sure, if you're a football manager or a head coach or whatever the terminology is, I mean, Alex Ferguson made a career at it. If you played well against Man United, they would sign you. Do you know what I mean? So sort of, there's, there's a simplicity of football at times as well. And, and I just think, to your point, like, yes, it's about balance, but there's a, there's a common sense thing there. And I think Gordon Stratton train sort of, you know, I mean, he's saying guys like Gravison, Jarasek, you know, big guys, but they never contributed really, whereas guys like Hartley, Robson, Colwell, McManus, Paul Telfer was there Don't forget Telfer Don't forget Telfer I thought
1: you were going to say Mo Camara there for a moment So I'm glad you said No,
0: I'm not that stupid, Despite what the comments say, I'm not that stupid But um, but the point being These were guys that were robust And he sprinkled it with the quality,
1: Brian Yeah, Boruch and and Nakamura Again,
0: perfect balance Then the younger guys that you had Like Migiris and Maloney's, the newer club that were there You McManus that came through the ranks it's all about balance, and I know you can't always replicate things over and over, but there's got to be a crumb of intention there. Where you go, look, we can get to Jan's point brilliantly put about um, Cun. I mean, a nine million cost for a guy who like me going and do well, but that's insanity. And it goes back to that logic point. You know what? And you mentioned Kamalik. I know people thought about the boy Danny Armstrong, right? I don't think he's good enough for Celtic. However. Is he better than Yang? Probably. He's certainly having a better season. He's he's a better season, him, I mean. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, but they go, well, like he's 28 now and he's no super famous and he's Scottish and you go, well, who cares? You know, if you get him into a job for a season where in that area we're clearly lacking. And again, look, I don't think he's, I'd be in, super excited about him, but given how poor some of the players are at the club just now, guys like that must be worth a point at least as a backup.
1: It's part of, I think it's part of finding that balance, Brian. Um, the point I continually make is are guys like, um, and I'm not saying because we never signed him for Hibbs, but John McGinn came through at St. Mirren. i seen him as a 17-year-old. He bossed the game. He was up against Stefan Johansson, a Norwegian internationalist. You could tell then that's a boy who's going to, you know, he's definitely got potential. Why not buy him uh, at that stage loan him out? Loan him out. Because at that time, just before Hibbs bought him, uh, Dundee United, were in the frame to buy them. You know they understood the talent was there, Brian, and I think that you could bring them in and uh, loan them out to another team in Scotland, not even necessarily the one you brought them in. From we did it with Ryan Christie, didn't we? He might not have been ready for Celtic, but we thought, you know, if we don't get him now, someone else is going to take him away. He's going to become too expensive if he goes down south, too expensive. So getting them in, and if they're not ready for the first team, loan them straight back out. Lewis Ferguson at Hamilton, you knew he was a great player then. Never mind now, all these years later when he's breaking records in Italy. And I know that the moves that these guys have had have made them the players that they are. And, and the timing of the moves going to Italy, becoming the player that he now is. But you could see you're buying potential. I'd, I'd rather that was a project sign-in. Bring them in and then loan them back out to a club that you think is suitable. It worked way, players in the past with regards to the loan system. Um, so I think, yeah, there's other ones. We all know about Andy Robertson, you know, Aaron Hickey. I'm not just listing guys that we missed out on. But there seems to be an issue where bringing in players from our own country. Miofsky uh, playing within the country. We wouldn't even sign him. Um, I'm going to throw in a low bowler here because I, I wouldn't want to sign Dykes for any reason other than the fact that it would look good on my wee boy's jersey. But would he be any worse mm-hmm. than Adamida? I'm not quite sure. Would he have made more of an impact? I'm not quite sure. So I, I sometimes think that we turn our nose up based on, not a snobbery, but just this, you know, this belief that they're not going to do the business in Scotland. Now, when you look at Nico Kuhn, because that's what Jim calls him because they're buddies, uh, if, it, if it was going to be nine million, and it won't because there's no way he's going to be at the club for five and a half years, right? If it was going to be that outlay, you look at the amount of players like him that I've seen yes. for Celtic, you look at that list that I read out the other week Brian 56 million quid spent on players that came in between 2010-11 and the end of last season who failed to play as many as 50 games for Celtic so you can write them off off as being a flop not one of them was a guy that came in played 20 games and got a move to AC Milan they were all flops 56 million quid wasted down the tubes and there's a few guys I think that were brought in this season who will be added to that list probably taking up to 70 million plus so <clears throat> we can bang on about being this club who are very well run and very rich but by the way we have spraffed a lot of money down the tubes as well, um, really keen to know what you're thinking, Jean-Paul II the goalkeeper will or should be a long term uh, role for whoever we buy splash the cash on Kelleher, can our Irish contingent come in and com- and confirm that his name is uh, Kevin Kavine? it is the Irish Kevin I think Kelleher, let me know I uh, like to get my pronunciations right. The thing with that, Jim, Celtic are never going to be spending fifteen million plus on a goalie,
2: are we? No, neither they should. I mean, this is a bit been sensible. I mean, everything everything comes back to logic, right? Now, you say any player, that's a bit of a risk, but you do your due diligence and you come up with somebody, and if it doesn't work out and you've done all your due diligence, he's well, okay, that's 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 kind of fair enough. The point I made at the time, and it's kind of relevant now was when we bought Burnaby. Now, uh, was it 3.75 or something. Is it something yeah. like that. So, so yeah. guts, the guts are £4 million. Right. So, so you're saying something somebody in the scouting department, here's, here's £4 million and you can scout the world. Right. You're not scouting the West of Scotland. You're not scouting the English Championship. You're not scouting France, Germany, Portugal. You're going to Asia, if you want. You're going to South America. Four million quid, get me the best life back out there. They come up with Bernabeu.
0: Mm.
2: So you're thinking, where's your logic in that? Because for four million quid, surely you could get a lot better than that. You could get a relatively experienced international who plays for Poland or Hungary or... or I don't know, because that's not my job. But that's their job, and you come up with, with Bernabeu for the guts of £4 million. tell me that's that's the best value you've got for the £4 million. Any other job, that's a sack and offense. It must be. And the wages are tied up with him. You know, again, maybe he's in say, I don't know, It's, it's, it's in a four-year contract or a 2.3-year contract or some other bizarre thing. But whatever the number is, that's the guts of a number that's more than £4 million. Six, mm-hmm. seven, we're, we're, we're tied up. Maybe £7 million in him and £9 million. That's £16 million. Are thinking about it? And that's why it's vital we get these things right. And that's why you're not going to spend £15 million on a goalkeeper and his wages on top of that. And you're taking that to £20 million plus in one player. This is the fans' money. Getting back to the season ticket thing, this is our money. We're trusting these guys to spend it wisely. That's what Fergus always said. Mm -hmm. This is the fans' money. I have to spend it wisely. And that's why, you know, at the time when he was getting lots of grief because Cadetti and Van Hoydonk and Dicanio... And he was saying, look, this is the fans' money I've got here, and I need to spend this wisely. And maybe sometimes he got it right, maybe sometimes he got it wrong, but hey-ho, that's how things work. But this is fans' money. And if there's 50-odd thousand season ticket holders paying £600 plus, that's the guts of £40 million. So for the guts of £40 million, we've invested £16 million in those two players. One we don't think is very good and one it's a bit too early to judge. So you can't continue to do that. And it's dead easy to say, oh, we'll have all this money in the bank, therefore go and spend it." night. Like, yes, we should be spending it, but we have to be careful in where we spend it. The point was over that transfer window, we had a chance to fix the season. Yeah. And we didn't do it. For whatever reason, we didn't do it. If we'd assigned a few players and it didn't work out, you would say, well, at least she tried. At least she tried. And I think we were at just now for me, we need to split this as we sit just now and taking a short term, long term. Short term, we have to win this league by whatever method possible. We've got 12 games to win this league and we're in a title race now. And for a lot of people, they don't know what a title race is, but this is it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. And get behind the team wearing the green and white hoops is my kind of message. Talking in podcasts and phone-ins and, and, and blogs. Ah, Disney, matter. nobody's bothered about that. But when you walk into Celtic part or third part, whatever, when you walk in that gate and you come in the gate, you support the team 100%. You don't mum, don't moan, don't groan, don't boo, don't shout sack the ball, don't shout low, Don't do any of that. Like right? That's for when the game finishes. That's for long-term stuff. We are where we are because of all that stuff. But we've got 12 games to go. And, we need, and you know, a game last week, come on, the mumps and the moans were happening, early doors. That doesn't help the players. They're young. They're inexperienced. They need all the help they can get. We need to get behind them and push them on. Because if we win this league this year, that'll be pretty sweet. Right? Well, not the favourites. Rightly so, because we've been too inconsistent. And I know people say, well, I mean, rivals aren't that good. They're more consistent than us. We beat them twice, yet they're still ahead of us. Mm-hmm. That's our fault. So the manager has to step up as well. Because I think he's got 12 games to save his reputation at the end of the day. And I don't look at the comments, but (laughs) in terms of backing the manager, no me. At the time he got appointed, I said, this is unimaginative, this is lazy. Because for me, and I hope he pulls this off, as a Celtic fan, I want to win this league, but the trajectory of the manager, and I don't blame him for leaving last time because I think he was undermined by the chief executive, but the trajectory of the last time he was here, 106 points, Invincible season, 82 points the next season, and was doing worse when he left. The trajectory was down. He was signing Miss Ondo's and Ollie Bucks and the boy Weir signings He got lesser relegated last season. Again, looking at logic, why oh why would you bring someone like that back? Set the start of the season. I hope we would do well. And I'm and I'm back him percent because he's the Celtic manager. But for me, logic went right out the window. Not, and who's to say if they brought somebody else in, they wouldn't have done any better. But his decision making, his team selection, his substitutions all through the season are miles off it. They are, and he has to get he has to stand up now and be counted and show that he's the manager that he is. Every day on the training pitch. There were wee bits from last week's gamey clips looking round in circles. Mm-hmm. That's down to the manager. It has to be down to the manager. Has to be. And we've got 12 games to win this league, so we need to get behind the team. So we're going green and white hoops. We're going to back them. The players don't know you're booing for somebody else. They've just won the game and you're booing. They think they're booing them. They, they can't, and they, I saw people in the comments saying, well, if they can't handle the booing, they shouldn't be here. A lot of them shouldn't be here because they're not good enough. But that's counterproductive. If you're going to boo Celtic players after a match, how is that going to help them? they don't know you're booing about Peter Law or then They don't know that. So you have to get behind 12 games, 10 of those games are putting against teams with vastly inferior resources. And yeah. then we need two big performances I Ibrox. And we need well, Carter Vickers back. We need Hatati back. And we have these guys back and we have a game plan and we know what we're doing. You know, we take, we take throw-ins and corners and free kicks. I've got no idea what we're doing. No idea at all. You know, I just... What are they doing all week? But we are where we are just now. So I'm going to stop my rant at this point in time to say that. That's not a rant, Jim. 12, 12 games. Win this league, will be sweet. If we don't win it, we don't deserve to win it. And, and well done to the team who does win it. But we get 12 games to do this. And that's all that matters, starting on Sunday. And what I think, I mean, I don't go to the away games, but I think the away support are far more supportive of the team. And I know people talk about entitlement. and all this, There's a bit of that. Of course, there's a bit of that in it. People are not used to watching Celtic not win games, but that's the time you have to stand up and be a Celtic fan. We don't care if we win, lose, or draw as long as we win. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of theory we have now, you know. So, anyway, rant over for today. That took me 46, 11 seconds. That was only Jim. What a yep, up!
0: Yeah,
1: any given crazy. Sunday, you're right.
2: It's Pacino,
1: he's whack. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a rant. I thought it was quite rousing.
0: Yeah, brilliant.
1: brilliant. Yeah, play it in the dressing room. Um, no, just no. one point. Just
2: to, just, to, just, to, just, to, just to act as a bit of a counterbalance, if i still got it here, was a uh, best comment anyone's ever made uh, was, was last time. Uh, somebody called Chico69ers said, uh, love watching Jim spends a whole hour impersonating an eye-rolling goldfish that has excess earwax in its right ear. If <laughs> fish actually had ears, what a laugh. I said, Hospital Fair. There you go. <laughs> bit fair. That's
1: gone on your t shirt. Um, Hospital Fair. One last point on the Burnaby discussion. Uh, Alexandro Burnaby, you're right. You've got £4 million. Quid. There's your budget, £4 million. Pound. We need a left back, right? Um, and we go in 2022 and we buy Alexandro Burnaby. Um, who else was available at that time? Going back to the discussion that you and I just had, Brian, well, Josh Doig was available at Hibbs. Uh, we could no longer buy him. We could no longer buy Josh Doig um, two years later because he would be uh, out of our price range um, if we were to have gone and tried to buy him. Uh, Another player who was widely known to be a a very, very promising talent was, of course, Aaron Hickey a couple of years um, earlier leaving Hearts for Bologna. And again, we could not sign him now. We could not go toe-to-toe with the clubs that are interested in these types of players. So it's about knowing sometimes that the player you're looking for is on your doorstep. You know, it shouldn't have to be the wide net all over the globe. And if there is somebody playing for Lanus in Argentina who is better than Josh Doig and Aaron Hickey, go and get him. But Burnaby's not that player. So I do think we need a much more of a balance. do you make of what Jim's just said there? I thought that was quite a rousing um, speech rather than a rant. Let us know what you think. Come on, PJ why Sunderland? Alex, I don't know. Maybe you should look at their squad. Is there anybody in there of uh, ex-Celtic uh, vintage? I don't know. I don't know. You, you'll need to work it out. Are ah, am still on the Brendan bus? Donny, tiny hands. We don't We didn't use public transport. We don't use buses. But um, I think Brendan bus at that time, I'm going to say it. I remember Jim calling it out as being an uninventive, uncreative appointment. At the time, Jim said it. I wanted Maresca. Um, I, I said you I, wanted Maresca. Like, you did not with hindsight, Brian. You wanted Maresca. Of the three of us, on today, Donny, um, if that is Donny out there, because I heard he was a Rangers fan last week. Terrible, tragic mm-hmm. humour. Um, I did want him back. I did want him back, Brian. I, I thought brilliant. He's the best gaffer we can get. Uh, And we can discuss all this kind of stuff, but what I don't like is a narrative that is now being widely spread in the the mainstream around a new manager uh, to replace Brendan. And if Celtic fans can't see that for what it is, mischief-making, then you need to realise that that's all it is. Uh, Joe Hart, another word on Joe Hart. Brian, um, I hope we get through this season my priority is always the league, it'd be nice to get a double, of course it would, but um if if we win the league and he's come up here and he's won three leagues and away he goes, I think one moment this season, and there's been a lot, but one moment this season would be that, that game up at McDermott where we're two one up, having come back from a goal down at half time, Hart makes a save right next to the post we break away and we score the goal to put it beyond St. Johnston. There's moments like that every season from Joe Hart, as well as his leadership capabilities um, even if he didn't decide to retire it was time to replace him at the end of the season um, but I think that you know, in terms of motivation Brian I, I think he is a type of guy who will be motiv- motivated to go out on a high watch his interview um, is that a life coach that interviewed him is that the guy that, that helps him mentally to fine tune his Celtic state of mind before games and stuff like that so it is the right time Brian but I do think that even this season when he's been coming under a lot of criticism I don't think he's had a bad season
0: no, it's always really interesting with, with, with Joe Hart. It's interesting, you know, what happens when he goes because I think it's how we remember him. And I think I'll remember as someone that, you know, to paraphrase *The Dark Knight*, it's the the hero we we needed, but we know the hero we deserved. Because I think that when he came in, we had Hologram Hans, who's the worst keeper we've ever had. And I remember the cheer when Joe Hart made his first save, and people were just amazed that the goalkeeper to save the ball. And he came in and he steadied the ship and he inspired confidence in his defence. Um is he great with his feet? No, we knew that. Is there things he's got mistaken him? Yes. But is there things he's saved his points? Absolutely. So I think you he's been above average keeper. I don't think he's one of the old ten greats. He's certainly no one of the worst keepers we've ever had by any stretch of the imagination. And I think he's done a good job and I think he'll be remembered for that because he'll be part of that Anjida. And I think all these players will be sort of remembered so fondly because we, we fell in love with all these guys really quickly under Ange. And I don't mean to keep talking about Ange, but, you know, they, they, we commented a lot. I think uh, Jim said it as well. They all seem like good boys. They all seem like good guys. You know, you put a to them really quickly. And I think just being part of that group will be fondly remembered. Um, you can see people <clears> now talking <throat> about start out as if he you was know, Beckenbauer because he's not here anymore. Because you remember him fondly And I liked that. I about. I think it was brilliant But it was good And I think Joe Hart But remember the same I think people look back And go Are oh, big man alright for us um, And look I, I think As a person I think he's actually Comes across as, as a really good bloke I think he spoke Really eloquently About mental health And about speaking About things And about You know Not getting caught up In things And, and forgiving things And letting things go And, and prioritising his family And I think he's A real role model And I think that people at the club would really benefit from having him around you know maybe as a coach something like that but I think he's been a great presence and I think some of the almost the unquantifiable things he's brought to the club are probably more valuable than his services necessarily in goals so he'll leave it a lot of affection I think you will look back fondly and I'm sure he'll he'll give his all I don't I don't think for a second he'll, he'll give up the ghost. I think if anything you'll see probably the, as close to the best version of him as possible in the, the next 12 games, and then we need him to be anyway. But um, I'm sure he leaves a good impression, and I'm sure Celtics left a wonderful impression on him.
2: Yeah, and, and Joel- also, you can actually make a case for him if you, if you ignore Europe, you could make a case for him being the best player this season. And Matt O'Reilly in the first few months, was, was, was easily the best player. He's tailed off a wee bit, whether somebody mm-hmm. was his move, I don't, I don't know. But, but Joe has been, been fairly consistent league wise, and you would say over the past month or so, he's not been the best player. So, and if we win this league and he makes a few more vital saves, you could not, you could make, I'm not saying he should be, but you could make a case for him. Carry him round the park, Jim, old school, like they did after 10 men. Carry him round that park because
1: it's going to be the end of a a very illustrious and long uh, career for a goalkeeper who's played at the very, very top. On the Matt O'Reilly thing, don't want to labour the fact. I do agree with Jim. I don't think he's been at his best recently. Uh, And automatically, as football fans, we think, oh, it's because his head's turned and there's been this interest from Atletico Madrid and undoubtedly other clubs are being sniffing about. You know what? I think that he's played a lot of football, Jim. I think he's one of the guys that Brennan Rodgers always goes back to if he's fit, he plays. And it could actually be a bit of fatigue. I mean, when you think back to the we never stop mantra uh, of Ange Coglu, the claxon has been ringing all day long uh, on Ange Mm. Ball. However, for two years, that intensity, Jim, are we seeing some of the ramifications of that? Are we seeing Carter yep. Vickers picking up more injuries than we would have expected? Are we seeing guys that are maybe running a bit empty at this stage?
2: Well, I think it's down to the squad, the fact we don't have a big squad. We don't, a, we, don't a big squad but we don't have a squad where we can depend on players coming in. And because he's been playing so well, you're never going to leave him out. Uh, games are too vital. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that third... Cog in the midfields, a bit that's been missing uh, all season with Hitati been out. And again, the manager went for Turnbull instead of Hitati at the start of the season.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That might have made a difference if Hitati had been playing it all season, might not have picked up the injuries he's got. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? Matt is a young guy, big future ahead of him. Uh, yeah, a potential move has to has to weigh on him. Yes, maybe he's been playing football. Maybe that's a combination of both of those things. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, good, good player at the moment. Lottie, the best player of the year. Uh, hopefully, he can kick on as well. I mean, it, without ranting again, twelve games to go, twelve big performances, and uh, go for it, Matt. Go for it, Matt. Yeah, step up. We want players like him, players like uh, Kyogo, to to really
1: step up to their best form. Who's the snitch? Uh, a lot of fans wanted draw their heart, short memories. You know what? This is a fickle business, supporting football, isn't it? Supporting a football club, this is what happens. It swings. One minute you're, you know, you're the the uh, the best that there possibly could be. I think we've seen that with uh, Lewis Palma all season. That the opinion on Palmer has gone from him not being good enough in a Celtic jersey to him scoring goals in the Champions League. It, you know, it does happen. But I think overall, I would agree with Jim. I think Joe Hart's had a very good season. The underwater cabbage salesman. How are sales Copenhagen? Bodo Glimp. Um, Sparta Prague etc are all competitive in Europe. This is a stark example of the possibilities of the club if we had ambition and competence in the boardroom. Uh, this goes on from a conversation we had near the start of the show for anyone who's tuned in a wee bit later whereby there's a few guys in that Copenhagen team we could have had and it wouldn't have taken much effort to get them uh, or indeed Outley and uh, we could have had those guys. Would you have taken say Jordan, Larson and Scott McKenna, let us know in the comments section Stevie Boy is also in on the comments Martin, some of his decisions in goal are baffling talking about um, Joe Hart no doubt a decent shot stopper but punching the ball when it's easier to, to catch in his position, a positioning at set plays I write time for me uh, I tell you what though he's not really had a settled defence in front of me either so I'm going to throw that in as a wee mitigating circumstance uh, Brian, give me your lineup for Motherwell on Sunday must-win game as uh, Jim said earlier on all the cliches are getting rolled out. 12 Cup finals, starts at the third park. What's your line-up?
0: Um, so, um, going to start with Joe Hart and goals. Um, and ju- just to address that, the, the comment for the, the contributor, you can think Joe Hart's had a good season and still think we need to improve the goalkeeping situation. Both things can be true at the one time. It's not a binary sort of thing. Um, but i go Joe Hart, go back three of... Um, I'm going to assume Cameron Carter-Vickers is fit. Is fit. It would be TV in the middle, Scales, left centre-back, Welsh, right centre-back. Two wing-backs of Taylor and Ralston. Um, midfield three, O'Reilly, McGregor, Iwata. And a front two of Mieda and Keogh. Because then you can easily shift that around yeah. if you need to. I mm-hmm. think you eliminate the need for wingers, which we, we, we don't have. I think meda can defend for the front and run mm-hmm. at the back and provide space for <clears> The <throat> Iwakla can sit in front of the, the back four if it spreads. And Taylor's probably better moving forward anyway. He gets exposed at the back, so he's further forward. And I think Ralston's got the dig to come in midfield if need be. So that's my rationale.
1: No, I like I like some of that. Um I like Iwata, I've been talking about Iwata for a few weeks. Um I also think there needs to come a point where Novroski is reintroduced into the Celtic side. Jim, what about yourself? Can you see can you see Brendan um being a wee bit less cautious, maybe changing the shape like Brian suggested?
2: Not a chance. <laughs> I like that team, <laughs> to be honest. And like yourself, Iwata I think Iwata might be the key guy in these last twelve games. I think Callum needs help. And there, and any time Awatus came on, he's done well. Uh, and the the Derby last year, when we came on, and he settled things down really well. Yeah. And the Derby there, he was the guy. I can't remember if he was injured or not, but if he would have been fit, he was the guy which I brought on in the Derby game. But the manager completely messed that up, and almost dropped points. So Iwata yeah, uh, I like I like Wilson going forward. Uh, Johnson's a lot like a better player, but Wilson either scores goals or assists in goals and we need to score goals so Rolston good I agree with you Paul now I think it's time for him to step up Uh, I think Liam Scales done a brilliant job but maybe a bit like Matt O'Reilly maybe he's committed, to maybe fading a wee bit hopefully Carter Vickers is fit because if he's not that's a problem and and, and Taylor yeah so O'Reilly Cal Mack and uh, Iwata I'd play two wingers genuine wingers who can beat people in theory and that'd be Yang and Kuhn my pal Uh, and Kyogo up front. Uh, just get the ball into the box as often and as quickly as you can. Uh, and if we don't manage to score the goals, then yeah, I think we need to maybe change up front. And Maida up front alongside Kyogo is maybe a, a better bet than Aida uh, because I don't think uh, his strength is in the air, which she <laughs> can Big guy six foot plus and go too good in the air. So again, logic is out the window there. They'd uh, say, yeah, maybe Maida and Kyogo up front if we're not managing to, to do it. But I mean we've put two two uh, close games against Motherwell, but well, we're very, very fortunate to score an injury time in the first game. And then even we get a penalty at Celtic Park in the late on, we still managed to, to mess that up. They're not having a great season, but teams fancy themselves against Celtic this season that's that's the that's the big thing because when when we scored nine against Dundee United every team was fearful thinking we could lose 10 today we could lose 11 but when teams look at certainly what Kilmarnock did last week Kilmarnock were pretty bold uh, fancied the game were confident uh, once they got to half time well, only one they pushed up they made it difficult and I'm sure Motherwell had somebody watching the game and thinking well we should be able to do that but As I've said, 12 games to go, time for Brendan to stand up. We talked at the start there last night when the Celtic Trust said that a United Celtic support is very powerful. And I was talking about change at Celtic. We've got 12 games to go and that same Celtic support could be very powerful and trying to get us over the line. so (laughs) another rant or rallying call, just just don't boo, just don't mump, just don't moan and let's win these next 12 games and win the league.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things to leave you with. Scott Bain is indeed uh, still under contract until May the 31st, 2024. Paddy Roberts does indeed play for Sunderland. And uh, we've got somebody here, Brian. Robert McCleary. Scunthorpe Celtic supporters. Name me a player that played for Celtic and Scunthorpe. Brian Degnan, you're on the spot. Countdown clock is ticking away. Ah, oh, GH, GH, GH. Gary Hooper, there you go. Gary Hooper, where is Here's he now? There.
0: still playing. He's still playing, Gary Hooper. He what plays a player Hooper was, started. by the way. One of the most know. underrated
1: strikers we had. What a player. Yeah. 36 years of age, still playing Fort Barnett. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. Uh, we are on the road. We are doing some gigs with Paddy McCourt uh, in various places around Scotland, and also the one, the only, Brian's mate, Martin O'Neill. He has shared a sherry or two with Martin O'Neill in the past. Uh, let's go and do it again in April. Tickets are underneath this video. I've got to thank everybody for your support. Uh, the viewing figures have been phenomenal uh, over the last wee Well, Yeah, sometimes it feels like a therapy session but if you've joined us late, go back and listen to Jim Moore's Any Given Sunday Al Pacino-esque uh, speech at 42 minutes of this show. It was very rousing. I'll be playing it again just before the Motherwell game in case I'm getting nervous. Thanks everybody for getting involved. Thank you also to Brian Dagman and Jim Moore for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. <laughs>
2: Podcast Network.